0: see so many of you. We're going to move this to gallery mode so we can see each other. There we go okay amazing amazing and so last minute that so many of you were able to join us and some of you even joined us for a class two hours ago so you're joining us i see cheryl i see craig i see cody a bunch of you who are back with us which is amazing so thank you for that and this is the first time we're doing this so we're excited to do this our um for our our dear friends our dear members who in our constantly evolving models for growth and sustainability are experimenting and um, are really um, so grateful to you all that you're a part of our um, our consistency team of showing up to learn with us and showing up to keep us keep us going and uh, going strong. So thank you for that, all of you. And I and I also want to thank Jenny Pratt, new to our team, and AJ for your work to pull this together today as well, and really each of you who's here, also. Um, Let's see who's here from our board. So far, David Lieberman, our board chair. Thank you for everything you do, David, and all of you. So thank you. Um, and uh, oh, and I see my uh, amazing mother's on here as well. So it's always great to see her too. Um, so uh, so thank you all. Thank you all. So um, let's start with a little song, a song we all know, and in particular for this time, this Thanksgiving week, um, to recognize the good. The good of sitting together—we're not sitting together in the same room as we wish we were—but the good of how it is to see each other and uh, and to be together today. So please, uh, please join me. So friends I want to invite you to, to share Um, how does Thanksgiving look or feel different to you this year? Um, Feel free to put that in the chat. Feel free to share that out loud. Um, If your screen is off and it's easy for you to put it on, it's always great to see more faces, but no pressure if you need to be on off. Um, But uh, can anyone share with us, how does does Thanksgiving, uh, I mean, we're in a whole different world right now. How do things look or feel different to you this year?
1: Well, it's uh, not Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first year we're not going to be with family, family and yeah. or friends. Yeah. And so uh, we probably won't even have turkey <laughs> uh, <laughs> because uh, yeah. Toby is not a, t- a fan of uh, white meat turkey. <laughs> it's only dark meat. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's, doesn't it Doesn't at all feel like the Thanksgivings we know from the past?
0: Yeah, so just to start by just holding that loss, for some people that might feel like a tiny little loss, a little bump, for others it might feel massive, like the traditions, the, the unity, the coming together, the feelings, the taste, the smells, it's really not normal. Um, is this Abby and Toby, is this your yeah. first time yeah. ever? Yeah. Is it first time yeah. ever not having? Yeah. Right.
1: Okay. We yeah. are Zooming with our children. Yeah, we're having a uh, five time zone Zoom. (laughs) Yep.
0: Without passing any judgment on anyone, I saw in the news today that the Sky Harbor Airport is just bursting with people, bursting and bursting. Um, So I was surprised to see that, but I'm glad you're being safe at home. Uh, Okay, I see Cheryl Hammerman on the side there. We're usually in San Francisco with our daughter and family. We'll be doing a Zoom Thanksgiving with all our kids, just like we did on Pesach. Okay, thank you, Cheryl. Yeah. Oh, there's Naomi on the side also. Um, which Naomi is this? We will be doing Thanksgiving apart as a family to socially distance, but we'll be swapping dishes. Okay, great. Oh, and there's Jenny. If we were meeting in person, we'd be serving warm cider and goodies. Oh, Naomi garneys Thank you. Okay, great. Oh, Stu, thanks for sharing your commentary on the blog. Okay, good. So so folks will continue to share. And what I wanted to to think about a little bit today, and I hope you'll pause, you'll, you'll ask questions, you'll share thoughts, you'll agree or disagree, really, feel free to jump. And I want to think a little bit about this idea of gratitude together. Um, And of, you know, what, which one might argue, I mean, of course, with every holiday, the main thing is the family, the community, the togetherness. But then the second question is always, what is this all about? What is Passover all about anyways? What is Thanksgiving all about? And it, we'd be hard pressed not to include in the top three themes, this idea of pausing for, to fill ourselves with gratitude. And gratitude, of course, is something very complicated, like all virtues. So let's start with our first slide here. We have some slides. We will see each other more. But I want to use some jump off uh, ideas here. Okay. Here we go. The science of gratitude. Psychologists identify three types of gratitude gratitude as an affective trait, that's to say, one's overall tendency to have a grateful disposition. It's an affective trait. The second is a mood, daily fluctuations, and overall gratitude, right? It's gratitude because it's an attitude right? It's a mood that one is in and out of. And then there's an emotion, a more temporary feeling of gratitude that one may feel after receiving a gift or a favor from someone. Um, so just to reiterate those, one is kind of a fleeting mood, an attitude. One is an affective trait. that's kind of one's personality. It's your disposition naturally. And the third is one in response to an external stimuli, right? And we can all relate to all three of those. Elements of ourselves, we all have parts of our personality, which are naturally grateful, content, and parts of our personality, which are naturally grumpy or discontent. Um, and then there's the moods. Some of us are what we call very moody, we're very fluctuating in our disposition, in our attitude, that is. Um, some of us are more, are more um, rock solid, as I get older, I tend to be a little bit more solid, but I tend to my disposition is still to be more of a fluctuating type. Um, and then the third is um, is uh, is is in response to the external stimuli. Which having young children, it's interesting to look at how dominant that one is. It's like literally within three seconds, um, our child can be laughing hysterically and then crying and then laughing hysterically again all within the same three seconds um based on what's given or taken now in addition to those three those three types the affect of the mood and the emotion from external stimuli i would add the cognitive piece when we engage in jewish learning we typically most commonly talk about this cognitive piece which is ideas based I'm someone who definitely believes in holistic self, the, the, the spirit, the mind, the body, all of that. And so I do think the cognitive piece is an, is an influential bit, but not all of it. It's not enough to just remind ourselves of the good, right? It has to be felt, it has to be experienced. As we say in Musar, the longest path in the world is the path from the head to the heart. So we can know something, we can know we have good in our life, but if it hasn't been moved into the heart, we may not actually feel that, right? We're still living with discontent or anxiety, even though in our head we know we have a good life, right? So the cognitive piece is important, and it can also be limited. And part of the work in, in, in therapy, some would do, is to look at um, uh, uh, cognitive errors, right? We all have cognitive errors, mistruths we tell ourselves um, and actually correcting those. But then in addition to the emotional side and the cognitive side, there's also the spiritual piece, the spiritual piece that on a higher elevated consciousness, experiencing our interconnectivity. Okay, we'll come back to that idea. Let's go to our next slide, our five kinds of gratitude. Number one, this is the easiest kind. Grateful for something. This is normally how we talk about it. I'm so grateful for my house. I'm so grateful for my life partner. I'm so grateful for my new car, right? I'm grateful for something. There's an object to the subject's gratitude. The second is for not something, right? Um, this is what we would identify as, in some ways, is a more cynical view or a more jaded view. Um, um, I'm so grateful I'm not that guy, right? <laughs> right. We, this emerges in what Rousseau talks about. Rousseau talks about as, as as fundamental to the human experience of kind of laughing a little bit in our pity of others. We laugh a little bit because there's something joyful about seeing someone else suffer, he argues, in the human experience, because on some level, deep deep level for some people or surface level for others, we realize that's not us, right? And so even if we truly are empathetic and we feel bad for the other, there's something that emerges. I'm so grateful I'm not that, right? And we see this all the time. This is like um, when people say there's a mass shooting at a school, God forbid, and they say, oh, go home and hug your child tonight. Go home and hug your child tonight. Basically saying like, be so grateful that that's not your child. You know what I mean? So that's the second type. The third is excessive, um, uh, which is also known as it's all good. I'm grateful not for something, and I'm grateful not for not having this thing happen. It's all good, right? Some theology, some philosophy, some disposition, that it's all good. Um, <laughs> you probably heard, by the way, of people talk a lot about to- toxic um. Uh, toxic negativity, um, but you've also heard about po- toxic positivity. These are people who, um, you know, no matter what's go- bad, they just make it positive, right? You're complaining, you're sad, you're down, and they're like, oh, it's all good. It's all good. Here's the good side of it, right? Which is a virtue for oneself to flip the negative to the positive. But if you're in the hospital bed, you're really kind of down about it, right? You don't want someone to come in and tell you it's all good, right? You want someone to hold that, hold that stress with you, hold that pain with you. Um, and so this idea of gratitude as it's all good is so virtuous on a personal spiritual level, and yet excessive when it is externalized perhaps. Um, after I read these next two, I'm going to pause for questions, comments, agreements, disagreements, additions. Number four, reluctant. The reluctant gratitude, also known as I don't really feel it, but I know I'm supposed to. So yeah, I'm grateful, right? I'm sitting at my Thanksgiving dinner and I'm really not happy to be here. I don't really like these people around me. I don't really wanna be here. I just lost my job or my house is being taken away or I have a surgery tomorrow. I'm really not in a good place. But I, you know what, uh, objectively I should be happy, so I'm gonna say something about gratitude, right? So that's, that's kind of like, I guess you could call that a false gratitude on an emotional level, but on a cognitive level, at least we're recognizing something. And then number five is for no thing, for no thing. It's not connected to anything, it's just an overall immersion. Now this is different than number three, it's actually the opposite of number three, and, and, and I mean not the opposite, but maybe a mirror image. You can say, um, you know, what's funny about mirror image? People use mirror image the wrong way, to mean um, the opposite, right? But um, mirror image, uh, and philosophically, is used to mean a mountain top um, ha- reflected in the lake. That is to say, it is the exact same object, just flipped upside down um, it's, it's the mirror version, right? This is the way I heard someone recently talk about Yitz Greenberg and Mayor Kahana. Yitz Greenberg and Mayor Kahana on paper were the exact same people who went to the same schooling, were a part of the same ideology, and yet they were a mirror image, or Jacob and Esau, we'll come back to them. You kind of emerge from the exact same place, and yet you're kind of flipped upside down in your, in your approach, right? So, um, you might have a sibling who is like identical to you and you might have a mirror image sibling who is so like you but upside down right in some ways that's me and my brother with all love. like we're so similar and in some ways we're we're the flip versions of each other um so if number three was everything is good I can point to it my car is good my job's good my my computer is good I can just point to the things that are all good everything around me is good number five is saying it's all good as a feeling of immersion. I don't have to point to anything because uh, I'm kind of feel that so dominantly. Okay, so let me pause there um, for any questions or thoughts, additions, disagreements on these these first two slides of kind of types of gratitude. Anybody wanna add anything there? Okay. Great. Feel free to jump in at any other point. Don't forget to unmute yourself if you do that um, or to chat in the side. And I also just want to say that that I do believe human emotions are complicated. And that is to say that the positive is interwoven with the negative, right? Which is another way to say that we don't lose the gratitude if it is intertwined with sorrow. For example, let's say I, 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 this Thanksgiving, I want to reminisce on my childhood Thanksgivings. I was blessed with wonderful childhood Thanksgivings. And, And I feel some sadness there because I want to be there. I want to experience that. And yet I'm so grateful for those memories of what that's like, right? And so that's a case where the positive and to some degree the negative are intertwined. Or if we're mourning the loss of someone we loved, and yet we're full of gratitude to them, we're full of love for them still, even while they're not alive or not with us. And so it's a little bit intertwined. And um, one also might say that they're not, um, if they're not working against each other. The paradox actually strengthens it. There's emotion that comes with the sadness that actually feeds the positive as well, right? If we don't allow the fullness of the negative emotion, it might not chattel into the fullness of the positive emotion, right? If we don't allow ourselves to mourn the loss of someone we loved, we might not feel the fullness of our gratitude and love for them. Right. And so sometimes embrace to get to gratitude, we have to go through the channel of the loss, go through the channel of the morning or of what's lost. And so, like, if this Thanksgiving is really hard for you, you're like totally alone or semi alone or much more alone than usual. Maybe it's good to, like, sit with that a little bit rather than hide from that and kind of like sit shiva, so to speak, for the loss of that Thanksgiving we knew and then take that energy towards whatever will be unique this year. You know, at Simchat Torah this year, we were so sad. We wanted to take our kids to dance at shul as we do every year, dance with the Torahs and throw them up in the air. And they, how often do they get candy at 10 p.m.? <laughs> you know, and all these things. And how often do I get a little higham at 10 p.m.? You know, So, you know, have a good time. And, um, and this year, we were so sad we couldn't do that. But we went to our front yard. We went to our front yard and we and we had them all get a, a little book from inside the house and we did a little dance in front of us and we made it what it was. We made it what it was. So um, so that's the first thing connected to that. I want to add that if you're like me, your disposition is towards um, worry or angst. Um, I am I am naturally a worrier. I'm not so good at um, at relaxing, one might say, or chilling out. Uh, there's probably more charitable ways to say that. There's probably less charitable ways to say that also. But I'm not so good at, at that. Um, and... Um, Whereas I talk about mirror image, my brother seems to have a great time just, you know, going to have a good time and relaxing. In any case, part of that is dispositional personality, and part of it is philosophical. I live with philosophical existential angst, angst of the universe, angst of the world, of the political situation in the world, of the economic future, of what will be with the Jewish people, of climate change. You know, my children, are they okay? Will they be okay? I'm a worrier. I live with the the angst. It's also what we call yira, in yira, that the, the mida, the attribute of yira, of awe, living with awe in a sense of smallness amidst, amidst the greatness, a sense of wonder in a way that fills me with questioning. And that questioning is exciting, but that questioning is also um, uh, filled with, um, tenkin is too strong of a word, but yearning yearning so there's never exactly a completeness or a wholeness and for me if you're like me and I'm sorry if I'm not speaking to you at all right now if you're kind of an e drink and be merry like you're just attuned I wish I could be in that place the goal is not to remove I, for me the goal is not to remove this yira or this angst um, but rather how do we cultivate a sense of sufficiency sufficiency alongside the angst Okay, now let me provide five models of of what I mean by sufficiency. The first I wanna suggest is imperfection. I am sufficient because I'm imperfect and because we're all imperfect and that's okay. We're all broken. We all have a strange relationships. We all have problems. I have my own vices and because of my imperfection, I am sufficient because that's the human condition. It is the human condition. It is human nature. It is the reality of the world to live with imperfection. The second type of insufficiency is that we are perfect. We are perfect, right? Now, we might embrace, um, number three will be the paradox, right? That we are both imperfect and perfect. We're both whole and broken. But before we get to three, number two is that we're perfect. Just like we hold a newborn child and say they're perfect. Right, they've never done anything wrong. They literally just like emerged from the heavens or from and from the womb. They're pure. They're perfect. Right. in some strands of Christian thought, of course, they're, they're sinful to start because um, because of human nature. But in Jewish thought, predominantly, um, they are pure. Not in that they're perfectly good, but that they're neither good nor bad. They are merely they're just pure. And so so too we hold on to that. One of the ways I talk about how we should think about our enemies or if enemy is too strong, maybe our detractors or maybe our, um, those we have falling outs with, is to view them once again as babies. It's really hard to hate a baby, right? And that baby is always alive in each of us. And each of us has that part of our perfection, what we call our tselem elohim, our image of God in us, that perfect side, the flame inside of us, that as long as we're alive, it's lit. Okay, the third, again, was the paradox. The fourth is, in, in terms of sufficiency, there is no I there is no i we merge with the tapestry of life in in a, in, a, in a humble spirituality and i am no more no, and no more no more and no less than anyone else i'm just immersed into the wholeness and i'm sufficient because the oneness of reality is sufficient and i'm a part of that okay and then fifthly um that um uh i'm sufficient because um, I, I am a part of everyone. This is different than number four. I want good for everyone in the universe. There is no scarcity in a sense. I want good for everyone. And when someone else gains, I also gain. We don't live in a fear-based uh, rationing model where someone else's gain is my loss. Someone else's gain is my gain. And so sufficiency is not about my bucket. It's about the collective bucket. When there's gain, there, there is gain. Okay. Let me pause again for questions and comments before I keep going, because I've been talking too much. Okay, I will continue to invite you in, but there's no pressure, uh, no pressure yet. Okay, so as you know, the Hebrew phrase for gratitude is hakaratatov, hakaratatov, and what it means is recognizing the good. Right, recognizing the good, hakaratatov. This is from the New York Times. It's already nine years old, but you know, nine years is, I mean, in some ways, an eternity; in other ways, nothing. Cultivating an attitude of gratitude has been linked to better health, sounder sleep, less anxiety and depression, higher long-term satisfaction with life, and kinder behavior towards others, including romantic partners. As a culture, we've lost a deep sense of gratefulness about the freedoms we enjoy a lack of gratitude for all the material advantages we have. Okay, so here what we're talking about is that gratitude is not merely a virtue, it's not merely a disposition, it's not merely a mood, it's not merely a, um, uh, a, a theme to discuss, it is actually a mental health issue. Not only a mental health issue, it is a family need for our family well-being to have this. We can also say it's a national need, right? Some of us may have at different times in American history um, said, I really am not proud at this moment to be American. Our country has been destroyed. The integrity of this nation has been jeopardized. You might think of a time, I'm not going to point to any specific moments, but you might think of a time where you felt that. That democracy was at risk, or um, you know the integrity of the country was called into question in some ways, whatever the case is, the judicial part, the legislative, the executive, right. And we might have actually fallen into the trap of saying. It is bad to be American or this is a bad country as opposed to continuing to focus in addition to the, uh, naming those problems, focus on the rights, the liberties, um, the, great, the great things we have here. We may have had the same things. There are times when ending a relationship or, having a, or, or, leading, or moving towards a divorce just makes total sense. And there's other times it emerges because we forget to see the good the good that is there in a relationship or focused on the thing that is, in fact, so problematic. It's it's the grass is always greener, leaving a job or moving out of a home, that discontent that emerges. And so we want to return to that that bigger picture. Okay, now let's go to the Torah. Let's go to the Torah now. Genesis 1-4, God is our model. God is our model. And God saw the light that it was good and God separated between the light and between the darkness. So we see here not only that the good is seen, but the good is acknowledged in creation. (laughs) Halachta bedrachav, imitatio Dei, that is to say emulating the divine. When we see something, we should learn to see the good. We should not only see it, but recognize it, and name it, and speak of it. Right. Hakaratatov. That gratitude is cognitive, it is affective, it is spiritual, but it's also behavioral and relational, and it is speech-related, that we speak of it, we name it, okay? Now, when is the first time humans do this? Unfortunately, it took 29 chapters for human gratitude. Genesis 29, And Leah conceived again and bore a son. And she said, this time, I will thank the Lord. Therefore, she named him Yehuda. And then she stopped bearing. Of course, why is the name Yehuda significant? Yehuda, it means thanks. It comes from Toda or hoda'ah, appreciation or thanks. She names her son Judah, Yehuda, out of gratitude, right? Leah is the first person in the bible to thank god to thank god right so god does it right away exceeds sees the good and it takes us 29 chapters to get there yes michael yeah please go ahead well in a,
1: a minute ago we quoted that that god saw the light and said it was good yeah. then he separated the light from the dark is that also meaning he
0: separated good from evil Or was that something, a concept that didn't come to the apple? Ah, beautiful, beautiful. So as you know, those who like to think about science and religion, in which we're going to launch a whole science and religion uh, series this year, um, who want to, there are those who just like evolution, they don't like creationism. There's those who like creationism, they don't like evolution. But those who like to think about the relationship between creation and science, ask the question, how could light and dark be created before the day when the sun was created? It makes no sense to have physical light without a sun. So clearly they're talking about a spiritual or metaphorical or an ethical notion here, not a physical type of light and darkness because of that order of the days. Um, And so you're right. I think you're right, Michael, that the, the main interpretation there is that God is the creator of evil. That is to say, that Judaism does not deny the reality of evil as some spiritual traditions do, to say, oh, evil's not real, you don't see the big picture, or everything that's actually bad is good. Actually, there is evil. And God is the creator of that evil. And that creates difficult problems for benevolence. It, it, it makes omnipotence um, and, and omniscience, in some ways, possible ways more manageable, but benevolence it makes it more difficult. This is the idea of the Satan or the Satan, um, the satanic forces. So you're right. So God sees it's good. And then, yeah, so that's a good question, which I'm not going to answer. I'm going to leave open because I think it's such an interesting question. At, r- why does it mean that right after the first time God sees something is good, God then creates evil? Oh, God sees the light is good and God separates the light and the darkness. Can't be just good. I see it's good, and then there's a bifurcation. Okay? Okay. Good. Let's keep going. Source number three, Brachot 7b from the Talmud here. Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, from the day that God created the world, no person came to thank God until Leah came and thanked God. As it is written, this time, I'll thank God. So that was just the Talmudic source that backed up what we already knew from Genesis just now. Now, here's the most famous source, I think, on gratitude in the Jewish tradition. Pirkei Avot. Ashir HaSameach Bechelko. Who is rich, one is who is content with their own lot. That is to say, the rich one, you know, I just saw this morning on my phone uh, uh, as if I needed to know this. I got a news alert. Now, uh, Tesla. Who's the Tesla guy? Uh, t- who's the Tesla guy? Uh, uh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk is now the second billionaire. He just passed Bill Gates. Oh, it's a breaking news alert that I needed to know as I'm about to take a shower. Like, I, how would I take a shower without knowing who was the second billionaire instead of the third billionaire? You know? It's, <laughs> so you might say, like, I'm rich. If I pass that guy, then I'm really rich. I, apparently the, the top 10 billionaires also feel impoverished that they're not higher in the list. If like if I was only above that guy, I don't, I don't really like that guy. You know what I mean? You know? So yeah, it, it's very easy to be like, I have every objective need met and every security met to back up those objective needs and an extra layer of security to back up those securities on those objective needs. And still I feel lacking. I feel it's, Maybe it's from my childhood. Maybe I'm the child of a survivor. Maybe I had trauma as a kid, right? Maybe I, 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 had, I had a major bankruptcy. Okay, there's reasons why we might feel that from our history, um, or maybe it's a contentment issue. In any case, who is rich? The one who is content. Now, let's be clear. Content does not mean that someone stops striving. It doesn't mean that someone stops working for more, right? This is in Musar again is the balance between hishtadlut and bitachon. Hishtadlut means striving for more, bitachon means a trust in what is, right? I mean there's other ways to talk about that 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 model, but essentially you're content with what you have even while you're working for more. Let's think of it this way. Somebody has a child. They say I am completely content. I love that child fully. I want to have a second child. That doesn't take away from my contentment of the first child. It just means I see the good and I want more of that good. Okay. So someone saved half a million dollars for retirement. And they say, I'm really content. Half a million dollars. I can live off that for the rest of my life. You know? And so, and then uh, they said, you know what? But even though I'm totally content with that, I have some other financial goals. I want to achieve here to have more security or something for my family or philanthropic activities, whatever the case is, I'm going to continue to. Okay. So. Who is rich? One who knows how to be content with their own lot. Now, here's, here's an alternative read on that. what it means is not one is content with their own lot, but sameach b'chalko, content with the other person's lot. That is to say, who is rich? One who also feels greater when someone else they care about gains. Again, the easiest model is a parent-child or a spouse relationship, a partner relationship. Someone you love gains, you feel you feel the joy. But so too, this is what it means to be in community, right? Someone else gains and you feel enriched by that. Wow, what, a, what an amazing way to live. Because then all those joys that are so limiting in our own lives of new big changes. I mean, if you think about it, the last major Jewish ritual before death is 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 marriage, right? What? Oh, you have a bris if you're a boy, you know. And then you have a bar bat mitzvah. You get married, you know. But then you get married. What's next? Okay, you have a birth. Okay, so then your kids are born. That's done. And then the birth is done. What's the next life cycle event, right? And so it might feel like these like these major shifts slow down, but if we feel enriched by small things, but also by big things that happen to others. Then we become we we we're, we're, we we uh, grow through those as well.
2: Okay. Rabbi Shmuley, I yes, have a please, question. Yes. Hi, yeah, please uh, jump in. It it seems to me that um, once Speaking. we learn, I'm sorry, it's Judy. Scheff. Oh, Judy. Hi,
0: Judy. Now I see you. Hi. Judy.
2: Hi. Yeah. Um, we we're told to pursue justice, uh, and uh, it seems to me that we are equally obliged to pursue gratitude, because we are the Yehudim. We we we're obliged by virtue of living up to our name living up to our inheritance to be pursuers of gratitude and and like you said it doesn't eliminate the uh obligation to pursue justice but we have to have appreciation um there there has to be darkness for light to be something of value there has to be we, we have, we have these moments of appreciation to take stock of where the darkness is, where the injustice is, but we have to do it. We're obliged by our name.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, okay. Uh, Judy, so that, so that's really great. And I think we can also say something there around what does it mean to be grateful within the face of suffering and injustice, right? And, um, and, and I want to suggest, actually, that, um, that that is in some ways even more imperative. And I'm curious, Trudy, if you agree with me, that, for example, um, we can feel we don't take away from our empathy for those suffering of COVID by being grateful to not have it. Right. We don't take away from our passion for justice, for economic reforms for, for those who live in poverty by feeling grateful to not live in poverty. Right, like to be great, to name our privilege, to name our gratitude. Some people feel uncomfortable with their privilege. They feel uncomfortable with their gratitude because of their commitment to justice that others should have more, that they don't deserve necessarily what they have, right? But rather, I think that gratitude, that privilege, rather than being infused with guilt can be infused towards responsibility, towards towards justice. I'm curious what you think of that, Judy.
2: Well, we don't feel that money is the root of all evil. We feel right. that money has uh, has no value in and of itself. It depends on what you do with it. Yes. So merely having money is right. not a negative. Right. It, the question is, how do you deal with your fellow person with the gifts that you have, whether it be monetary or um, talent or any other any other riches that you have? Exactly. Beautiful. And I think
0: that's actually profound what you said. And I think it's true about many things beyond money and Jewish thought that are not inherently evil. It depends how they're used. Technology is the most obvious next example. But also power. I think a I, I think the most dominant Jewish interpretation of power is that power is not inherently evil. Power does not necessarily corrupt, right? Yes. Power can be seductive towards corruption. Yes, power can be lead towards evil. But the Jewish community should build power, right? We talk about this in community organizing. We should build power and use and leverage that power towards the good, right? So, too, people who amass, um, you know, financial means, right, um, and use that financial means towards good for their family, towards the community, towards society. Um, so, so I thank you for that. Does anyone else want to jump in before we keep going here? Great. Okay. So we're going to skip over this next source, but essentially, in the interest of time, in Brachot 58A, Ben Zoma, also the author of this last source, says, um, what does a good guest say? He talks about what does it mean to be an appreciative guest? um and 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 how he he counts through each step you know what let's just say it what does a good guest say how much trouble my host has taken for me how much meat they set before me how much wine they set before me how many cakes they've set before me and all the trouble they've taken only for my own sake but what does a bad guest say how much after all has my has mine my host put themselves out I've eaten one piece of bread, I've eaten one slice of meat, I've drunken out one cup of wine. All the trouble which my host has taken was only for the sake of his wife and his children. What does the scripture say of a good guest? Remember that thou magnify his works, whereof men have sung, but of a bad guest it's written, men do therefore fear. So here's another case that what it means to express hakaratar tov, is to see the, in the, the little things, right? To, to name the little things. Don't just say, thank you for having me over but wow, that tasted really good, right? Or this was really delightful conversation, right? To name the little things, to say not happy Mother's Day, you're you're a good mom, but I want to say thank you for this. I want to thank you for that. Or as a life partner, to really point to those things. I'm thinking about that this week because we had parent-teacher conferences this week. I, I, I had VPM classes, so I couldn't join. But my wife took a full report. And the teachers who named little things our kids did, it wasn't, oh, they're a good student. Ah, oh, they're working hard. They're progressing. Here's something he did. Here's something she said, right? And and I think that's, that, that's a way to have someone else feel appreciated how we communicate those those little things. By the way, it's worth acknowledging that um, some of the Rishonim, some of the medieval rabbis, in particular, Bachia ibn Pakuda of the 11th century, says that the path towards accepting God, whatever we understand God to be, whatever we understand accepting to mean, right? Secular society, not secular, American society talks about belief in God more than Jews talk about that, right? But whatever the relationship is to divinity, Um, they root that in gratitude. They say gratitude is the first religious principle. Why? Because we don't need to prove an existence. There's no mathematical equation. There's no scientific proof for God. What is the path towards God? They say as a religious person, I am grateful and I need an address to express that gratitude. I need an address to express my gratitude. I asked my daughter this morning, I said, you know, I'm going to talk with some folks today about gratitude. You know, how do you understand why we should be grateful? She said, she said I have all these things that keep me alive. And why, what did I do to deserve those things? You know, and where did those come from? Right, and just acknowledging these things and to say, um, um, you know, I'm alive. You know, one of my friends, I, I like to quote at the bottom of his email, Email it says, if, if you don't feel grateful at this moment, check your pulse, check your pulse. So at the very starting point, we can feel, we can feel our pulse in the moment. And feel that and then we want an address. So some of you might be have a very clear conception of God and how you talk to that God. Some of you may be more agnostic and unclear how to communicate that. And some of you may have some complicated theology of kind of what divinity may or may not be. Um, But to find some way to communicate that gratitude. For that which um, is way is way way beyond us, and that starts with parents. That starts with parents. So let's go to the Sefer HaChinuch, the mitzvah of Kibud avaim, honoring one's parents, as it emerges in the Ten Commandments. The mitzvah, the mitzvah to honor one's father and mother. To, um, as it says, to honor your father, blah, 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 the essence of this commandment is that one should recognize and do kindness to those who have done good to him. For one should not be a villain and alienate and be ungrateful, for that is a negative trait and utterly disgusting before God and humankind. And one should take to heart that their father and mother are the reason for their being in the world. So they deserve to do them all the honor and all the good they could, because they brought him into the world and also exerted themselves many times for them in in the childhood. And when one can internalize this into their soul, it will lead them to recognize the good of God, that he is the cause and the cause of all the ancestors back to Adam. So as the Talmud says, there's three partners in creation, the mother, the father, and, 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 the, and the divine. And we want an address. And here he extends this notion of gratitude beyond the parents, that honoring mother and father extends beyond, that anywhere we have been nourished or nurtured is where um, we have a debt of gratitude. And so, what does it mean to pay that debt? How do you pay for? Sometimes we talk about paying it forward. How do you go back and thank a teacher who did something for you, or a friend who did something for you? Um, um, how do we how do we pay that forward? Okay, pausing for pausing for comments. Great. Okay, we're almost. Yes, please. Yes. Uh,
3: uh, Rabbi Artson talks about process theology, and <clears throat> one of the one of the tenets, one of the teachings of process theology, is that um, the way things are right now is well. There's no choice in it. You have to accept it. I mean, you don't have to accept it, but it's things are the way they are for whatever reason. Um, and we can take whatever attitude we want, I guess, about it, um, it, it, it gets back to, um, you know, who is rich, one who is content with this lot. The current situation we're in just is what it is. So you can either be content with it or not content with it, but in this exact moment and in the next second, you can take action to change what you don't like. So it's, it, it's, it's a matter of, accept, of accepting and maybe by implication, having gratitude for this exact second because we have no other choice in the way this exact second is playing out. And the next thing we do can be to change something that we don't like about it. And so in terms of, um, uh, uh, just gratitude, paying it forward, um, sort of the, the, you know, the radical gratitude or the radical acceptance of, of what we have and, and, and and living in that for just this moment, because in the next moment we can do something to change it. And being able to keep both of those thoughts in our mind at the same time can be a, Mm.
0: uh amazing amazing that's 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 very powerful david and to just to remind folks who um might not have looked at process theology recently just 30 seconds on it as it emerges from whitehead um it's a limit it it basically removes the the component of omnipotence from divinity um and someone like rabbi artson of the conservative movement in la um Wants omnipotence predominantly, uh, well, or partially in response to the problem of theodicy, of suffering, right? That God cannot be omnipotent because of suffering, because God is benevolent. And what is essential to process theology is the notion that divinity does ha- has no substance, but is rather immersed in a process of becoming. And so the key, the key verse in the Torah there is, eh, hey, yeah, asher Ehyeh. Yeah. Right. Which is mistranslated in English as I am that I am. But of course, Jewishly means I I will be what I will be. Right. I will be that I will be, which is to say um, God is not contained, but is evolving and changing. Um, And this is a very different approach than what we would often talk about in theology, something like karma. I do good because good will come back to me or divine justice, right? There is no omnipotence. There is no force as such. And so as David suggested, we're going to need some alternative ways to think about the value and imperative of gratitude and of paying it forward in the moment. So thank you for that. Okay, let's say some Heschel. Let's say Heschel quickly. I know we're moving towards our our end of time and I want to hear more voices too. To pray is to take notice of the wonder, to regain a sense of the mystery that animates all beings. The divine margin in all attainments. Prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. It is gratefulness that makes the soul great. So here it's interesting because Heschel oftentimes says that that the question is much more religious than any answer. That the, the question is the starting point, point of spirituality and of religion. But here he says, prayer is our humble answer, our response to the inconceivable surprise of living. Um, and that wonder itself can fill us with that gratitude, which he says is the essence of the soul. Now, it says in Vayikra Rabbah, Leviticus Rabbah Rabba here, in the time to come, all prayers will cease, but the prayer of thanksgiving will not cease. Um that, that's actually very interesting, because they're talking about the return of sacrifices and the prayers. Oh, actually, David, you should make note of this, because there is an idea that we've gone back and forth talking about, um, there, okay, that there is a progression. First, Judaism had as divine worship—well, first, the ancient world had human sacrifice. You serve God by sacrificing humans. Why is the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, a so-called progressive story? Because it is progress from a human sacrifice to animal sacrifice. God says, get as close as you can to killing your son. We're going to stop you. And to make clear to the world, we never serve God by killing humans. Kill an animal instead. And then we, then we progress from animal sacrifice, when the second temple is destroyed, into Tefila, into prayer. Prayer is the next iteration of how to serve God after animal sacrifice. Now there's a hint in the Rambam, a complicated hidden hint that we will one day move from words of prayer, words of praise into silent, silent worship of God, a higher elevated spiritual consciousness that one is immersed in that is wordless. And this source says prayers will cease, but the prayer of thanksgiving, whatever that means, right? some form of gratitude, will never cease, because you always have to be able to articulate that. So what are the three forms of prayer traditionally? Praise, requests, and um, and thanks, right? That's the amida. The first three prayers of the amida are praising God. You're great. I'm just acknowledging greatness. The next uh, 13 are requests. We want good health. We want our parnasa, our financial well-being. We want justice. We want all these things in the world, God, right? Um, and then the last three are thanks. Okay, now before I leave, I'm just going to say thank you. Right? So the, the, all, the requests are going to be gone. The praise is going to be gone. But the, but the thanks won't. Okay, lastly here from Brachot, for a miracle wrought for many people, it is the duty of everyone to say a bracha, for a miracle wrought for one person, one alone is required to say a blessing. All right. So here we have the idea of of not of, of, of blessings on the miraculous. Now here I want to suggest, and then I'll move to this last bit here. And I, and you may have heard me say this before, so I apologize. But the the best tool, the best tool that Judaism has for spirituality. Ready for it? Spirituality. Okay. Nothing against synagogue. Nothing against prayer nothing against yoga, all these other things, right? The best is the bracha, the bracha. What is the blessing? The blessing says you don't do your spiritual act in the morning and then go live your business day. You don't go do your business and then do a little spirituality at night. The bracha says interweave it into your existence throughout the day. Pause consistently to fill yourselves with gratitude. So here's what it says in Deuteronomy over here. Now, Israel, what does the Lord, your God, ask of you? To walk in God's ways and to serve God. Okay? Now, the Hebrew for what, when it says, what does the, God ask, is ma. Ma is phonetically similar to the word mea. Me, ma, meya. means a hundred. And thus, we learn from the Talmud that a hundred brachot we should make a day, a hundred blessings. What does God ask of you? A hundred blessings. Now here's what it says in the Midrash Tan Chuma, the story behind the tradition. during the reign of King David, there was a terrible plague that took the lives of exactly a hundred people a day. Geez, we look at our plagues today. 1500, 1,500 a day. I mean, horrible, horrible things. A hundred a day. The rabbis sat at the t- at the time, perceived, the plague's cause to be spiritual, and they instituted the practice of reciting 100 blessings per day. The plague immediately stopped. Okay, so there we see the blessing as a response to evil. Now, I I suspect few of us here believe in the power of prayer as such. I certainly don't. I don't think of prayer as magic, that you pray for something and and evil stops. I I don't believe in that. Um, I do believe that there's a, a, a mysterious dimension to prayer, that who knows how it works. You pray for the sick. Maybe it works, you, you don't know, but I don't, definitely don't think it's magic. You say a prayer and it happens. Um, my son does think that. You'll, you'll forgive me if, if you've heard this story before, but I'll tell you why my son thinks that. I have a son named Lev and he is now six. And when Lev was three, he heard me praying in the house and I was praying very loudly so that he could hear me praying. And he thought it was great. He thought I was praying to a channel going above me, like a there was like a light above me I was praying into. So he leans in and I'm saying, God, Um, please give us health and give us strength and give us, help us be happy. And he leans in next to me, three years old. And he says, and a Batmobile and a Batmobile. (laughs) So I did what every modern person does. When something happens in your life, I posted it on Facebook. I said, uh, I said, you won't believe this. I was uh, praying and, uh, and my son said he wants a Batmobile. And so the next day, the very next day, the biggest box you've ever seen arrives at the front door, the biggest box. (laughs) And now the biggest Batmobile you can ever imagine arrives at the front door. And there's a note on the box that says, God hears all prayers. (laughs) And so my wife's best friend, my wife's best friend uh, bought the biggest Batmobile. It turns out someone stole it from our front yard. Someone ended up stealing it from our front yard. Nonetheless, for a long time, if you saw a really happy little boy riding through the neighborhood in a huge Batmobile, you knew it was Lev Yank-Lewitz. And beautiful story, right? Now he loves prayer. The problem is, the problem is now we have a theological problem in our home. Our son loves prayer a little bit too much all of a sudden. (laughs) And he keeps saying, when are we going to do some more of that? When are we gonna do some more of that praying stuff? Right? Because I there's some things I could use over here. So, so anyways, uh, so he has a he has a different idea of tefila of prayer than I do currently. In any case, this is the power. This is the power of the of the bracha. Okay, I want to share one last thing before I before I open it up for some more comments and questions. This comes from the Torah portion next week, and this Torah changed my life. So I want to change this. It is the it is the word katonti. Oh, uh, okay. Actually, yeah. If you go back, I'm not. I'm. I'm, I'm actually. Uh, I'm a little off script right now. I just thought of this before. Before we jumped on, Parshat Veishlach next week is when Jacob is, is preparing for his brother Esau to arrive. Remember this? He's terrified. Esau is about to arrive. He th- is he gonna kill him? What's he gonna do? And he does all these different things. He's, he sends gifts. He prays. He doesn't want to do. And here's what he says in Hebrew: Katonti, from Katan, small. Katonti, I am small. Katonti. Katonti from all the acts of loving kindness and truth that you, God, have done with your servant. So what does he mean by this word Katonti when he's expressing gratitude to God? Is Yaakov, is Jacob saying he's unworthy of the goodness that he's received? Is he saying he's diminished by it? He's made smaller by all that he has? Is he saying that he's not worthy as it says in one midrash or in another midrash? He's saying I am worthy. What does this mean? And I want to say, I want to suggest that we do deserve. We do deserve the goodness in our lives. We do deserve the kindness. We should not have guilt. But I want to read Katonti not as I have been made smaller in the net as a result of these gifts, but that the kindness you have given me, God, has made me realize how small I am without it. How small I am without you. Katonti without this, I am small. My gratitude is such that I realized what I would be without you, God, or without you, my loved one, or without this thing that I have, right? I would be smaller. Not that I am diminished in my gratitude, but how I would be smaller without that. Katonti. And so um, this is a case we're actually thinking about um, meditating on what it would be like to have a life without certain things. And thankfully, now I'm ready for that next one, is um, this is the most powerful blessing of all. I continue to believe that many of us recite upon waking up. Right, thanking God upon waking up, or however we express that, that we've been given life once again, that our soul has been restored to us. Whatever our sense of divinity is to say, wow, I'm actually not necessarily deserving, one might say, of being given life once again, given that so many people are dying in the world. Or another way to say it is that I am deserving of life. I am worthy of life. I am worthy of my breath. I'm worthy of my health. I deserve this because I am created in the image of God. I, I'm, I deserve this, I shouldn't feel guilty at all. But Katonti, I know what it would be like to not have this. And so I fill myself with gratitude, knowing how small I would be without you, without this. Is that our last slide? Thank you. These are just some history of Thanksgiving, we can skip over that. George Washington and history—it's all things you can find. The Proclamations of Thanksgiving. We'll skip over that in the interest of time. I think that was the last good. So, um, so let's open it up for some closing thoughts and questions. Um, the last thing I just want to say is Katonti to everyone here. Like what I, um, what I would be without Valley Beit Madrash, What I would be without this community. What I would be without this board, this staff. The supporters, the learners. What I would be is so deeply impoverished, so deeply diminished, and so Katonti, I feel, I feel enlarged. I feel I'm, I'm how small I would be without it, and how grateful I am, and how enlarged I am. You know, the gudle, the greatness that emerges from being given a gift to be able to serve in such a role, and so. Um, I want to um, say that before I open it up for some, some other comments that folks have before we close up here. If there is anyone, don't be shy.
2: We would also be diminished without you. So we're grateful <laughs> you. for you. Thank you, Cheryl.
1: Thank you And I know what I'd say about being grateful is we need to consciously, like we remember prayer, remember to be grateful. Yeah. Remember to appreciate, because there's always things, I mean, I don't know, it's not just this thing is perfect and nothing is, you know, it's, it's never perfect. But I think with
0: everything else, we really need to stop and remember Amazing. Thank you. And I think one thing before I see someone else unmuted themselves is to move that from the realm of action to the realm of being. That is to say that we don't have to work to remember, but we build into our being on a deeper level such that it emanates, right? Um, That level of gratitude. That goes back to moving it from a mood or from the cognitive realm into the affective, into the disposition, so that we actually truly feel it naturally. We wake up just feeling it, right? And and it's amazing. Unfortunately, we have to have a loss sometimes to realize it. Like when I get into a hot shower, because I lived in Africa for two months in a village where I took cold bucket baths, like I feel the blessing of the hot shower in a way I wouldn't if I hadn't had it. And that's that's true for so many other things. In our lives, but yes, uh, Abby, I think uh, you unmuted over
1: there. Yeah, I I heard a very apropos TED talk this morning. Mm. Um, a woman was sitting at her kitchen table, and I don't remember the circumstance, but she said, you know, she really loves her cup of coffee, and she she wants to thank everyone that that produced that cup of coffee for her, and mm. she started thanking people at the at the kitchen table. <laughs> And her child said, you know, what you're doing isn't right. You should be personally thanking them. Mm. And she thought about that. And she said, he's right. And she started doing that. And so when the next morning, she went to get her Starbucks. She thanked the uh, pr- uh, preparer, Barister. Uh, Barister. barrister, or barista. And she... Um, And she thanked her very much because she loved the coffee and she loved the idea that she that this person was preparing it for her. And then she thought, or her child said, you should be thanking everyone involved in this. And so she thought about thanking the um the the farms where the coffee beans were grown, and the workers on the farms that picked those beans, and the truckers that drove them on the highways. And the people that prepared the highways, and it literally cost her a fortune, and she did it. She made round-the-world trips to thank people, but it also changed her life, because as she went through the day, uh, just in a normal course of the day, when someone did something for her, the slightest, uh, smallest thing, she would thank them. Yeah. And nice. uh, I think it's beautiful.
0: Beautiful. It's something,
1: thank you. Yeah, it's something that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember.
0: Yeah, and to think of a society that way, to think of a society of how interconnected we are, how interdependent we are, and how much of a, of a debt of gratitude we have to, you know, it's like we, it, we almost move things in the pandemic to essential workers and non-essential. And in some ways, that's really helpful in terms of containing a pandemic. But in another sense, right, everyone is essential in the system right of how we need each other and to see those layers of who enables what you're right abby it goes so deep it goes so deep one story about a coffee a coffee barista who changed my life i always rushed in and out literally i mean i was on the phone i'm i I could i was i'm talking to someone while i'm ordering it i'm rushing in and out in and out of the shop i'm like spilling the coffee all over myself i'm going so fast and she said she said you got to stop and smell the coffee and she gave me a coffee bean i said will you do me a favor every time i come in here to, to buy a coffee Will you give me a bean? And for about three years, every time I came in, she gave me a bean. And that was a reminder for me to slow down and move a little slower that day. <laughs> so, so her in particular, I'm, I'm grateful too. But now she, now, I don't know where she is now, that location closed. So now, now I don't slow down enough. So someone else send me a bean. <laughs> okay, is there one more person here? Okay. I'm sorry I went over time. So I just want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. I want to name that it's very different this year. And I, I, I I send solidarity strength to everyone who is having a bit of a diminished Thanksgiving this year. And yet I hope some of the tools, some of the wisdom out there around gratitude can in some way mitigate that loss, can in some way enhance that experience, not just for that day, but going forward. And just once again, Katonti for myself, how diminished I would be without this and without you. And so I give you all the blessings for good health and strength and long life. And we should continue learning Torah together because nothing gives me like learning Torah together, of feeling how big it is, how small we are, and yet how great we become when we're immersed in it. Thank you all. Have a great week. We're going to have another member session for Hanukkah time. Jenny, thank you for your support. Uh, AJ, thank you for your support. David, thank you for your support. And we're going to do another member session, just a closed one for those of you who are um, so central to what we do. Have a great day. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you.